So I think our gospel passage is a little bit tricky, uh, and if we don't, if we aren't careful, I think we can read it um, maybe outside of outside of the way that Jesus wants us to to hear it. Uh, so I, th- I think there's a, there's a temptation, you know. So we've got this Pharisee and this tax collector, uh, the Pharisee who's doing all of the right things, and the tax collector who is not doing the right things, the Pharisee who makes uh, a prideful, seemingly arrogant prayer and the, the tax collector who makes a humble prayer. And, and so Jesus, of course, lifts up the tax collector. And, and so for us, I think there's, there can be a temptation to say, well, see, this is, this is proof that I don't have to follow God's commandments because as long as my heart is in the right place, then it doesn't matter what I do. That's a temptation. But I, I think, I think we, gotta, we gotta look at it a little bit deeper because that is certainly not what Jesus is getting at. Uh, that, that we can just do whatever we want as long as our hearts are in the right place. And this, as you, as you I'm sure know, uh, this is a plague of 21st century Christianity. You know, people will say, well, as long as, as, long as you're a good person in your heart, you know, Jesus understands. Uh, when in fact, that's not what he's getting at at all. Um, so let's, let's look at, I think, I think one of the keys here is this, this uh, word. So towards the end, Jesus says, I tell you the latter went home justified, not the former. So this, this word justification, uh, what, what does it mean, right? This is, this is a big word, especially like if you're, if you're familiar with sort of like church talk, especially. Uh, but, but really, anyone reading the Bible should, should understand like this, this word justification or being justified in the eyes of God is like, it's a really big deal. Because if we're not justified in God's eyes, then there's no salvation for us. If you are not justified in God's eyes, then you will not go to heaven. So this is like a really big deal, whether you're familiar with the lingo or not familiar with the lingo. Uh, what, what does it mean to be justified? Um, so very simply, very simply, to be justified means to have a right relationship with God. If I have been justified by God, that means he has brought me into a right relationship with him. Right, so we, we know about relationships in our, in our lives, right? So let's take God out of the picture for a minute. We, we know about all kinds of relationships. You have relationships with your family, with your spouses maybe, with your siblings. You have relationships with different people that you work with or classmates, uh, friends, you know, all kinds of things. And, and sometimes you have relationships that are not pleasant relationships. You know, some of us have broken relationships in our lives where, where you know, maybe uh, you, you have a sibling that you just don't get along with and and you know, like you're, you're constantly picking at each other, right? And so there's not a good relationship there. Uh, maybe some of you have uh, previous relationships, uh, romantic relationships that are broken and, and so they're like irreparable, right? Not, not gonna be fixed. It's a broken, a bad relationship. And then of course we know that there are good relationships Right where, where it's like, I, I've got this friend, I've got this sibling, I've got this parent, I've got this spouse, and I just like, we have such a good connection with each other. I would do anything for that person. Right, and so you think about like, okay, well, what is, what is a relationship? A relationship is, it's an ongoing thing, right? It's, it's a living thing in my life, in your life. If I have a relationship with someone, it's something that's continuously going, and if I fall out of touch with somebody, then, if I'm honest, I wouldn't say, well, I would say I used, to, I used to have a relationship with this person. I used to be friends with this person. And maybe there's still a, a sense of the friendship there, but I have to admit there's not a relationship there anymore. Right? So a relationship is a living, ongoing thing. And so, so maybe this is just a, the simple first question, right? So to be justified by God is to have a good relationship with him. But maybe some of us just simply need to ask ourselves, like, do I have a relationship with God? 
forget about whether it's a good relationship or a bad relationship, right? But, but do I even have a relationship with him? Do I have an ongoing thing, a living thing, connection with God or not? I think a lot of people don't. Right? So maybe that's the place where some of us have to start. But, but then, like, let's move on and say, okay, I want to have an ongoing, I want to have a living relationship with the Lord. But I don't want it to just be living. I don't want it to be a bad relationship. I want it to be a good relationship because that ultimately is what, is, what makes me justified. And this is something, right, I, I, can't, I can't make this happen. Because of sin, I, I cut myself off from God when I sin. And so because of sin, it's impossible for me to manufacture a good relationship with him. Because of sin, I naturally make it to be the case that my relationship with God is bad. But what he does by his grace is he comes down, and we know this, he comes down in the person of Jesus to restore that relationship, to make it possible for you and for me to have a good relationship with him. This is one of the things that Jesus does for us is he justifies us. And we've, we've experienced this in our baptism. Those who are baptized have been justified by the grace of God. But now remember, to be justified is a relationship. So we can't say that simply because I'm baptized, then I'm automatically going to heaven. That's the beginning of my salvation. But it's a relationship. It's an ongoing thing. So if I just sort of sit back after I'm baptized and I say, well, that's done. Or a lot of, our, a lot of times our brothers, our Protestant brothers and sisters, they'll say, well, you just got to pray the sinner's prayer and then you're saved. That's, no, it's a relationship, right? So that might be the beginning of something, the beginning of a relationship, but if it's not an ongoing thing, then there's no relationship. And if there's no relationship, there's no justification. And if there's no justification, there's no heaven. Okay, so that's, that's really important. Now, what, like, what, what is a good relationship? If I have a good relationship with someone, what does that mean? One time I was talking to a, a bunch of college students, this was a few years ago, uh, and we were, we were talking about this. So this, this one student asked me, like, Father, how would you describe, or, or what characteristics would you apply to something that's, that's a good relationship, or that's like a good friendship? And we were kind of talking about it, and we kind of settled on this, for sure, this one characteristic. There's probably many characteristics, but this one sort of foundational characteristic of a good relationship, which is this, a willingness to be inconvenienced by the other. A willingness to be inconvenienced by the other. Right? Think about this. If, think, about, think about the people that you have a broken relationship or a bad relationship with. A sibling that just picks at you or uh, someone that used to be your friend but they betrayed you or a previous romantic uh, relationship that just didn't work out. Right? And this person asks you to do something inconvenient. Right? Like, I'm moving out of my house. Will you come and help me? It's like, no, I have a bad relationship with you. I'm not going to... That's not convenient for me, so I'm going to make up some excuse. But if I have someone that's really close with me, right, like a sibling, a brother, a sister, my parents, uh, my spouse, right, like I, I need you to do this inconvenient thing for me. And because we have a good relationship, it's like, okay, I'm willing to make a sacrifice. I'm willing even sometimes to change my plans. That's how, that's how strong our relationship is. I'm even willing to be so inconvenienced that I'll change my plans so that I can, I can maintain this relationship and perform this, this act of service for you. Right, so if I have a good relationship, then I'm willing to be inconvenienced by another person, by the other person. Which, this, this I would say is the problem of the Pharisee, right? So the, the problem of the Pharisee is not that, that he was unwilling to be inconvenienced by God, but the problem is that he wasn't even thinking of God. Listen again to what we heard. So Jesus is telling this parable. The Pharisee took up his position and he did what? He spoke this prayer to himself. 
You see this? He's, he comes to the temple. He's doing the right things. He's, he's, he's tithing. He's, he's sacrificing. He's fasting. He's not greedy. He's not dishonest. Uh, he's, he's not adulterous, right? Presumably, he's telling the truth about these things. But where is his prayer directed? His prayer is not directed to God. His prayer is directed to himself. You see this? He's not, he's not even, it's not, it's not that he's, it's not a question of whether he's doing the right things or the wrong things. It's the question of, is he even focused on the other? Is he even focused on having a relationship with God, right? This is, this is why it's so important for us maybe to, to have our eyes open to see like, oh my gosh, I actually, it's not just that I can have a relationship with God, it's that I have to. Right? This is, this is, this is a, big, a big plague of, of our generation maybe, maybe of all generations, but for sure our generation, is that we turn in on ourselves so easily so that many of us, maybe some of us sitting in this church, we come here and we come to Mass and we're not actually focused on God at all. We come here and, and maybe we come because it's a family thing. We come here and we pray and maybe we're actually just praying to ourselves. For sure this is for people who don't come to Mass, but I know, and I know because this is the case even for myself sometimes. There are many times during Mass where I'm not focused on God. I'm focused on my own things, or I'm focused on this distraction or that distraction. I'm focused on my preferences, all kinds of different things. And if this is the case for me, I know that it's the case for all of us because it's such a human thing. For us to like, to not even be concerned about whether we're doing the right things or the wrong things, but instead, it's just that our concern is for ourselves, right? And this is something that, that I was, as I was thinking about this, like, this, this is just like classic because one of the things that, that we believe as Christians is that we have an enemy. Our enemy is kind of three, three uh, characteristics or three, three, three people, we could say, the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the traditional understanding of the Christian enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Look at the world and see how the world, see whether the world is trying to encourage you to live out Christian gospel values or something else. Almost certainly look at the world and you see the world is not into this book, is not into the doctrines of the church. The world is trying to get you to turn away from the Lord. The flesh, right? Our natural human tendency, we're just, we're consumed with, with selfishness. We're consumed with, with desires for pleasure and comfort, right? Naturally, our bodies want us to rebel against the commandments of God. Our bodies want us to rebel against virtue. But then there's the devil. So in scripture, it's very clear that there is a creature, a creature of God made by God who rebels against God and goes to war against you and against me. And the Bible tells us that his names are two, Satan and the devil. And in the Bible, when there's a name revealed, a lot of times those names have meaning. The name Satan, it means accuser. He accuses God of not being good. And when we listen to that, we start to wonder, gosh, maybe God's not interested in my best interest. Maybe God isn't good. Maybe he's trying to hold me down. Maybe he's trying to restrict my freedom. I'm sure some of these things sound familiar to you. He accuses the people around you of not being trustworthy. So you start to look around and you start to wonder like, gosh, I feel like I can't trust any of these people. He accuses you of not being good yourself so that you begin to wonder, is there anything good about me? 
This is the accusations. And when we let ourselves take in those accusations, we begin to doubt God's goodness. We begin to doubt the people around us. We begin to doubt ourselves. And then what happens? We feel isolated and alone, which the devil's name means divider. Accuser and divider. He wants us to feel like we're isolated from everyone else because they are all untrustworthy. Even God is untrustworthy. So that what? So that we turn in on ourselves. And this is what the Pharisee does, right? He says, I thank you, oh God, as he's praying to himself, that I'm not like the rest of humanity. I'm not like them. I'm, I'm especially not like this tax collector, right? Here I am by myself. And aren't you lucky, God, myself, right? That here I am living such a virtuous life. You see, this is, this is what happens with, with the enemy of our race. He wants so badly for us to, become, to, to make ourselves so isolated and to turn in on ourselves so that what? So that we just disregard, disregard the Lord altogether. So it's not even a question of whether we have a relationship with him. We just forget about him altogether and we think only of ourselves and we make ourselves to be God. Maybe we'd never honestly admit this, but if we really let ourselves reflect, we see the subtlety of it. We see how subtly we start to think that we know better than God. We start to think that our feelings must be true because after all, they're my feelings. My desires, they must be true because after all, they're my desires. And, and I know that God's not trustworthy. I know the people around me are not trustworthy. I know the Father's not trustworthy. So everyone else must be wrong. And aren't I lucky that I'm not like anyone else? You see how the relationship with God, it just disappears. And remember, if there's no relationship, there's no justification. And if there's no justification, there's no salvation. This is it's, it's difficult, I understand. But I think the Lord this week, he's trying to shake us out of our complacency. If you remember a few weeks ago, the first reading, woe to the complacent in Zion. Those who just tend to be satisfied with where they're at spiritually and forget all about the need that we have for greater purification, for greater growth, for greater relationship with God. And St. Paul knows this. Uh, so we, we've been hearing from 2 Timothy uh, for the last few weeks, and we, we actually missed a good chunk of, of, of among my favorite parts because they're so enlightening. So listen, listen to what St. Paul says uh, to Timothy in chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of stress, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, Slanderers, profligates, fierce, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. See, St. Paul understands this so well. He's, and he's, he's pointing out, notice the list includes people who both on the outside seem like they're not doing the right things and also people on the outside who seem like they are doing the right things. People who hold the form of religion, right? They seem like they're really religious people, but inside, they have no real relationship with God. So they're not actually justified. The same thing, people on the outside who are not doing the right things, and inside also don't have a right relationship with God. See, St. Paul could see this coming from 2,000 years away. How much more should we ask the Lord to open our eyes so that we can see the same thing? To say like, oh my gosh, I'm prone to all of these things. Just think about this, disobedience to their parents, right? Like, how many times are we surprised when a kid is actually obedient to their parents today? 
But we sort of expect that they're going to grumble and complain against their mom and dad. St. Paul sees this again from 2,000 years away. So then, so, so what, is, what is all this supposed to do? Like, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, this is, this is the thing. St. Paul, at the end of his life, he saw this. And so what he did is he took it and he said, I'm going to be the opposite of that. I want to be one who has a real relationship with God. And so my focus is not going to be on myself. But instead, my focus is going to be on the other. My focus is going to be on God. Listen to what he says, right? I have competed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Right? He's talking about how, like all of this, I've longed for God's appearance, for Jesus' appearance. His focus is entirely on, I want to live my life in relationship with you, Jesus, so well. Because I actually look at the cross, Paul is saying, and I see how inconvenient that was for you, Jesus. Right? If you ever wonder, like, gosh, has, has God ever done anything inconvenient for me? Yes, look at the cross. There's nothing more inconvenient that Jesus could have done for you but dying for you. He's been so good to us. And now Paul is saying, and now I'm willing to, to let myself be inconvenienced by him. I'm going to compete well because it's hard to do that. I'm going to run the race because it feels like I have to try really hard to let myself be inconvenienced, to live in this relationship with him. Right? But then he also, he loves others well as well talking about people who have abandoned him, and he says, may it not be held against them. So now it kind of comes to us, right? This, this big question, right? Of course, it's like, do you have a relationship with Jesus? But, but let's get beyond that. Let's get beyond the basics and ask the question, like, what kind of a relationship do you have with him? Do you let yourself be inconvenienced by him? To the point of sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, doing things that are really unpleasant. But because you know that they're holy to do, I'm willing to do them. Right? And like, this is maybe this is an additional question. How are you letting yourself be formed to understand what it is to live in relationship with him? Right? Are you living in this place where you just say, well, I'm going to rely on my thoughts and I'm going to rely on my feelings? Or are you going to say, actually, maybe I need to pick up the Bible and read it so that I can understand what does God want me to do? Maybe I need to study the doctrines of the church so that it's not about my feelings and my thoughts, but instead it's like I surrender myself to the Lord and to his church because it's his church that shows me how to live in relationship with God. And living in relationship with God, I can be confident that I'm living in this, this, this place of justification. And if I'm living in this place of justification, as I continue to live in it, then I can actually be confident in my salvation. So I can say with Paul, right? I've competed well. I've run the race and I have kept the faith. And from now on, the crown of righteousness awaits me which the Lord, the just judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearance.